We're kicking off a new series. I love kicking off new series because uh, they're fun, they're exciting, and, and this topic particularly, healthy, discovering the connection between faith and health. Okay, now this is not a series about eating better or more, doing more exercise, because the truth is there are people much better and much smarter than I to talk about those things, people like Osh. And each week you're gonna hear from people, and that's why I've included these guys and gals in this series, is to give you some really tangible stuff. But what I wanna talk about each Sunday here is I wanna talk about some deep theological truths about God, about us, you and me, and about our health. And through each week, I want to give you something that maybe you haven't quite thought of before. And that's, that's, so that's our plan. Now, first, before I get too deep, I want to address the elephant in the room. Okay? The big obvious question that is probably already going through some of your minds. Am I really the best guy to be talking about health? Okay, you know it. You stare at me every Sunday. I stare at myself every day, okay? I understand that I am not exactly in the best health and the best shape right now. I'm 250 pounds. I have a BMI in the obese category. I have diabetes, slightly high cholesterol. I had gout, but I've managed on beating that, so I no longer have gout, which is awesome. And thanks to last week, I now... Deal with vertigo, okay? But thank you, I, I'm doing much better now. I'm not getting woozy and all that, so I, th I appreciate your prayers. And so, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Am I really the best person to be talking about health? Well, I actually thought about delaying this series. I thought about this series last year, actually. But then I was, I was even kind of in a worse place than I am now with my health. And so when th then when this spring came along, I started to think about it, and I seriously considered delaying it until maybe I lost a little bit more weight, got my blood sugar numbers down a little better, was eating healthier. But the truth is, I want to learn this stuff as much as you do. And one of the cool things about doing sermon series like this is I study and I read, and what I read challenges me. So, so I'm going to be upfront to say some of the stuff I'm talking about over the next couple months, I'm not living out. Some of the stuff I know, and I'm living out. Some of the stuff I know, but I'm not living out. And the, some of the stuff I don't know, and I'm learning brand new, is brand new to my life and my decision making. So I, I just want to acknowledge that, that through the, I'm on this journey with you. There are things about my health and my faith that I'm still trying to learn and trying to live out. And it's hard, and if you struggle with some health issues, it's probably hard for you as well. But it certainly is for me, because the truth is, I've struggled with weight most of my life. I was, I was generally a pretty pudgy kid. Um, so here, you can kind of see me in this, dig those pants, that is some hot style right there. So I, I was generally a little pudgy kid, or this one, you can see here, yeah, yeah, yes, I actually had blonde hair, and yes, I actually had hair. <laughs> or this one, um, here's a, here's kind of a, this was me in middle school, and I, I was a pudgy kid most of my childhood until I went into high school, started playing water polo and swimming competitively and lifeguarding, and well, I turned out very unpudgy. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that was actually me, trust me, okay? That was a lifeguard competition, and I know I'm no Zac Efron, but, but it was a pretty good few years there. <laughs> I went off to college, and I maintained, I mean, m most of my shape, I, I, I didn't really gain much weight, I didn't really gain the freshman 15, but so in college, there's, I, I, was, I still held my health pretty well. Um, but then, after I graduated from college, I got married, see there's me, and there's before in college. I know she basically hasn't changed, has she? Yeah. So at this, after this, after college, I got married, started working full time, and as often happens with those two points in life, I started to gain some weight. And that lasted, and, and I got married in 94, and up by about 2000, I was at my heaviest. So I was 270. And I was big, and I was tired, and my feet hurt, and clothes didn't fit anymore, and I was pretty miserable. So I joined a weight loss program and proceeded to lose 60 pounds. And, and it was very successful. And so that was the first time in my life I ever really lost weight, other than working out four hours a day in high school. And so this was, this was me about 2001, 2002 or so. And I was able to hold this off for, for a few years, but then, like before, I started to gain some weight again. And then by about 2010, I was back up to 270, even 275. And so I, I was big again, and, and you can just imagine the number of the amount of clothes that you have to go through. And if, you've been, if you, your weight has been up and down, you sort of understand. Um, but see, something happened. That, so that was about 2010 or so, but something happened in 2014 that changed everything. Um, I was diagnosed with diabetes, and it was pretty serious. I, I had blood sugar levels in the, you better do something or you might not last too much longer or lose a foot. Or that, that was kind of the level of my unhealth, my unwellness uh, of my body. And, and that, was, that was a real shocker. It was kind of a butt kicker that I needed. And so, so I, I lost some weight, and I gained a little bit of it back, and so that was kind of last year, and then I've lost some of it again. I'm not quite down to my lowest that I've been in my adult age, but I'm, I'm on the way down, which is good. That's what I decided to do with this year, versus th this series this year versus last year. Um, so yeah, my weight has fluctuated a little bit more, but the biggest thing that was different now was I started learning about health. I started learning about eating and, and learning about diabetes because it was, it was kind of my reality now. And as I started to learn, I... I began to ask a question that had never crossed my mind before. I began to ask the question, what if my health and my faith were connected? I'd never thought of that before. Never even crossed my mind. Been a Christian since I was 16. Been overweight many of those years. Never thought, what if my health and my faith were connected? So I want to ask you, how do you think about your health? Do you pay attention to it? Or do you ignore it? 
is there some symptom or, or some doctor's diagnosis that you're ignoring right now? So I remember a, an assignment in seminary a few years back. This was about four or five years ago. Um, and, and it was to reflect on ourselves in light of God's command to love him, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? What Jesus described as the most important command. And that was the assignment. And I remember saying, I remember that my paper was essentially, well, I do great loving God with my mind. I do okay with my strength. I work really hard, but my body's not in really good shape. Um, but I don't do really well with my heart and my soul. And that was the, the extent of my paper. And I remember talking about these different compartments in life uh, as part of myself. So I went, have you ever thought of yourself like that? As kind of, you have different compartments. So I want to ask, which one of those compartments for you gets the most of your attention? Is there one of them that gets the least? How about, which of those, those ideas is thriving in your life right now? And which of those is kind of hurting? Those were the thoughts, those were the first thoughts that I started to have about reflecting on my own self and what makes up my personhood. However, there's one big problem with this approach. What if we aren't divided up into little categories like this? Where each little part of our person is a separate compartment from the others. And you can thrive in one, but sort of be suffering in another. And you could ignore one and pay attention to the other. What if that's not really how we're made? And that's what I began to wrestle with. Because this is how, uh, for years, for decades, I'd thought about my body and myself was these little compartments. And yeah, I knew this compartment was hurting, but at least this compartment is doing well. Okay, I, I, I'm strong on offense, but my defense is weak, and so, but that's fine. That's how I thought about myself. But as, the more that I wrestled after this di diagnosis of diabetes, I began to wonder if there were cracks in this view. Well, so today, to kind of talk about this idea, today I want to look at two dominant views of self that are present in the Bible. Th this sermon will be a little different. Usually I like to take a passage and we talk through that passage. I explain all of that. This one's going to be a little different. Okay? So I want to talk about two dominant views that are represented in scriptures. So the first is the Greek view. The Greek view, this is most common represented in the second half of the New Testament. If you think about Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Romans, things like that. Okay. Those are kind of spoken into this Greek view of self. Now, the second view that I want to talk about is the Hebrew view of self. And this is really best represented in the Old Testament and the Gospels. Because th those were primarily Jewish-oriented stories. So, we're going to talk about those two views. So first, let's start with the Greek view of self. And so this really was popularized by Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, and it's called dualism. 
So what dualism, and there are lots of types of dualism for if any of you are philosophy nerds. Yeah, I understand there are lots of forms of dualism. We're, we're going to talk about bodily dualism for right now or, or um, anthropological du dualism. And so this one, that, that the self is made up of two parts. There is a physical self. There's a physical self. It's the body. It's also in some of the classic literature referred to as matter. So there's the body, and then there is a spiritual self, the soul or the spirit. And we as people, as humans, are made up of those two distinct pieces. And they are distinct, but they aren't equal. Because you see, in, in Greek dualism, the soul was the real self. The soul was real, it was true, it was immortal, and the body was just a shell. In fact, it, it, they even wrote, they described the body as a prison for the soul. So it developed this theory, that this view of people really developed a bias against the body. It was a very strong bias against the body, in favor of the soul and against the body. The spiritual was good, it was real, it was morally superior. And the physical was evil and temporary, it was unimportant. Ignore that and focus on the spiritual, okay? So you get the idea? Body bad, spirit good. There's dualism in a nutshell, okay? Body bad, spirit good. Now, you know what? This, this philosophy, this Greek philosophy, kind of seeped its way into the church. And the church throughout its history has had themes of this, of dualism. Whether it was from the early church facing the, some of the, the first big opposition to the church were, were known as the, the, um, the Gnostics. And they were a group that had some very heretical beliefs, which means they were way off. And one of them was this. Um, also, St. Augustine, if you're familiar with him, one of the great founders of the church, he held a very dualistic view of mankind. And you, we see this, we even see this, hints of this in, in people like Luther, um, in the Reformation. So it's been a part of the church the whole, all, all of these years, for 2,000 two years. And you know what? The truth is, I think it's still a part of us. I think it's still a part of the church, and I think it's still a part of Western thought. Um, this idea that in the church, have you ever gotten the impression that your spirit is more important than your body? That that's what you want to pay attention to. I mean, line up the number of sermons you've heard about spiritual stuff and about body stuff, <laughs> if any. So I think this is still very prevalent. And I think this is how a lot of us view our bodies. Honestly, I know I did and sometimes still do. I spend countless hours on spiritual stuff. And even on my own soul, I try to nurture that. But really, I, I'm spending a fraction of that caring for my body. And so I think, I think some of us, and maybe even a lot of us, still hold this dualistic view. And that our spirit, the spiritual stuff, is more important than our body stuff. Okay? I, I hold that. I, it's still deep in me. Even though I know it's stinking thinking, 
it's still a part of me. And I have to fight against that. Which, incidentally, is actually going to be what we're talking about next week. Next week, we're going to talk about why does God care about our body. So if you're curious about this, come back next week. So that's the Greek view, the Greek view of dualism. And you could see this show up in some of Paul's letters and some of the things that he talks about to address, directly address this dualistic view of mankind. Now, let's switch and let's talk about the Hebrew view, the Hebrew view of self. Now, the Hebrews had a much more holistic view of self. The whole of a person was wonderfully created by God and designed for his service. Body and soul were formed a united self. It wasn't body and soul. No, body and soul were integrated and united. The two are entangled in ways that you can't separate them. You can't separate them into compartments. And it's, so it's not like the Greeks thought. In fact, very different. And then just to give you a little historical context, the, the Hebrew writings of the Old Testament happened a few thousand years before the Greek writings of Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. Just to give you, so this idea, even though I'm talking about it second, it preceded the Greeks. Okay. Now, where does this view, where does this holistic view of self show up in Scripture? Well, it shows up in probably the most important verse in the whole Bible. I know you might be thinking John 3, 16. Nope, it's not actually it. But one of the, mo- the most important verse, because Jesus actually asked him, someone asked him, hey, what's the most important commandment of God? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that he was actually quoting, that was not new to Jesus. He was quoting Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And that was the heart. It was the most important law. Every other law, books and books of laws, built off that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And now this is what Jesus quoted. And remember, remember my diagram from my seminary assignment? Now, the Greeks would have seen that command like this. But that's not how the Hebrews would have seen it. This would make no sense to the Hebrews who originally heard it when Moses spoke and wrote Deuteronomy. But here's how the Hebrews would have seen it. This is a much more Hebrew holistic view of how they would have seen loving God. With your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. They're overlapping and they're integrated and every one of them affects every other one of them. So this is not like a scorecard of 25, 25, 25, 25%. No, this is like all 100% all blended in together. That's how we're to love God. So honestly, my seminary assignment totally blew it. <laughs> I got to fight great on it and all, but, but I was so off. Because that is not how Jesus would have understood Deuteronomy 6.5. It's not how his hearers would have understood it, and it's not how Moses' hearers way back prior would have understood it. So, but this, this, I think, is what we miss. I think I miss it a lot, that we are all very overlapping. We are all very integrated people. And that's why, why it's really encouraging to see in professional circles in professional health, this 
a raising up of wellness, as Osh talked about. People are seeing some validity to this idea because wellness, just, just like the World Health Organization definition, is much bigger than just little compartments. It's all of us together. It's our whole lives. It's our mind, body, soul, our spirits, our families, our work. All of that is all integrated together. Okay? So, with this in mind, there's one more big Old Testament concept that I want to teach you today. So, are you up for learning a little bit of Hebrew? Would you be okay with learning a little bit of Hebrew? You're looking pretty smart today. You've had your coffee, I can tell. So, so I, I want to teach you a Hebrew word, and it's one you may have even heard of before. But the word is shalom. How many of you have heard that, that word shalom before? You heard that? Okay. Can, by the way, can you read that? Well, I can't either. Okay. So don't worry. But that's the Hebrew word for shalom. And this, this word, this is a fascinating word. It, so in Scripture, it's most commonly translated as peace. But it's a lot bigger than that. It's actually a lot bigger. A much better definition is, take a look at this string of concepts. Total well-being, peace, wholeness, health, prosperity, salvation, all of those are wrapped up into shalom. It's a, it's a huge word, and it has lots of different meanings, but all of them come back to this idea of total well-being, total peace. Fundamentally, shalom is having a right relationship with God with others, and with yourself. And when all of that is going well, there is shalom. So shalom isn't an individual thing. Shalom isn't a communal thing. It's both. It's all of the above. And what's amazing is, is when we see how this word plays itself out, we can see the wide scope of what shalom peace, shalom well-being really means. So I, I've just picked three of the contexts where you can see shalom, shalom in Scripture. So first is there is individual shalom. Okay? Individual shalom. Take a look, in Proverbs 3, 2, they're talking about God's teachings. God's teachings will prolong your life many years. And bring you shalom. And that's actually translated in, in Proverbs 3 as peace and prosperity. It's so much they couldn't even narrow it down to one word. They had to use two words to describe it. But following God's teachings will bring you shalom. Peace and prosperity. Or there, there's this awesome story. Is So Jacob, w w one of the, the early fathers of, of, of Judaism, he was traveling and he ran into some people who were from a town where he knew some people. And, you know, what do you do when you, you meet someone from, like, Milwaukee and you got some buddies in Milwaukee? You go, hey, do you know so-and-so? That's exactly what he did to these random shepherds. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> so, um, you know, a small J Jewish world, small Hmong world, okay, same thing happened. And so they knew, and then he says, is he well? But he doesn't just ask, be like, hey, is he okay? Really what he, he's asking is, how's his shalom? How's his wellness these days? So you can, you can even ask that of another person. 
So there is individual shalom, individual shalom. There's also relational shalom, shalom between people. So here, um, so this story in Genesis 34 is about two parties who are making a deal. And here's how one party described the other one. These men are friendly toward us. They are shalom toward us. Let them live in our land and trade. Sounds like these are good people. They are shalom toward us. They are, they are good to us. They, our relationship is well. There is peace. There is wellness in our relationship. So shalom can apply to relationships between two people or two families. A husband and a wife. A dad and his kids. So shalom can apply to any of these relationships. Now, Let's go even bigger. There's even national shalom. There's shalom between countries. So here King Solomon, um, the king after King David, was, was making a treaty okay, with this city called Tyre. And here's how it was described. There were peaceful relations. There was shalom between Hiram, the king of Tyre, and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty. So nations, whole nations can have shalom, okay? So for instance, generally historically speaking, the U.S. has pretty good shalom with Canada. They're pretty low-key folks. They're pretty mellow. We're, well, sometimes low-key, sometimes not. But we've got pretty good shalom with Mexico. I mean, sorry, with Canada. Now, thanks to our new president, we do not have good shalom with Mexico right now, okay? <laughs> that is not some good shalom going on right now. But so nations can have shalom. And that's just the beginning of it. Almost every context you can think of, you can, you can look at, you can measure the shalom in that context. So these are just three of them. Okay? Shalom can apply to every single domain you have. Okay, so shalom, holistic well-being. Holistic well-being. It can apply to your marriage, your family, your job, or your health. Shalom can apply to your health. So let me, let me ask you the question. This was, the, this was the title of the sermon, if you saw it online, is how do you define healthy? How do you define healthy? So do you see yourself like this? in four different quadrants, and when one of the quadrants is kind of going south, maybe, maybe it's your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your diabetes, gout, whatever it is that's, that's ailing you, when one part goes south, then the rest are okay. You can still, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm doing well with my heart, but my body is kind of terrible, and the doctor says I need to get things together, okay? So is this how you view health? where one part can suffer, but the rest can be okay? Or is this how you see health? Where when one part hurts, the rest of them hurt. When your body is hurting, when your health is suffering, it affects all the other parts. That's a hard lesson for me to understand. 
That's really hard for me to buy into when I'm feeling stressed and I want to go out to five guys and, and, and enjoy some of that. And It's hard for me to remember that when my body is hurting, it affects everything else. This isn't shalom. There's no total well-being. There's no peace in yourself, in your person. And that's what God desires. It's what God desires for you. That's what God desires for me. And that's kind of one of the big lessons I'm trying to learn here, is that God de desires shalom in my whole personhood which means I've got one of my areas that's really hurting. That means everything else is hurting. Because the whole different compartment, that's not how God created us. This is how God created us. As an interrelated, interdependent, and integrated whole. So when one part is off, it affects everything. So I want to ask you, how is your shalom? How is your shalom today? When you look at your whole self, maybe you're kind of in a boat like me where you've got a health thing that some days you ignore, some days you pay attention to, but you probably ignore more than the, the other. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're in good health. Maybe you dig health and you, you love working out and running and exercising. And you're kind of like health fanatic and you post all the stuff on Facebook. And so like your, your health, your body is thriving. How about the rest of you? How is your mind? How is your heart? How is your soul? I wanted to talk about this first in the series because I want us to redefine how we define healthy. I was so amazed at that World Health Organization definition because I totally expected that to be like really technical and medical and all of that, but no. Even they get it that health wellness is not just the absence of disease, but it's a whole well-being. And so I think it's worth us bringing back up this idea of shalom. It's a great Hebrew concept that matches very well with what health professionals are talking about, good well-being, good welfare. Um, so if you're ignoring your health, you're hurting your shalom. Your shalom is suffering. The gift that God wants to give you is suffering. Because that's how the Hebrews viewed shalom. They didn't see it as something you earned or you worked for. Shalom was a gift from God. It was a gift from on high to us. And we had the joy of living it out. So how are you living out your shalom? Well, we're going to be talking for about seven, eight weeks here on this series. And my hope is that through this series... You and I can have more shalom in our lives. Our, so our whole self thrives, not just one compartment. 
That's God's desire for you. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for myself is that we thrive as a whole, as individuals, but also as a church family. Remember, shalom isn't individualistic. I could ask Riverlife family, how is our collective shalom? It's a good question to ask. Twin Cities, how is our shalom? How is your shalom in your family? At your job? With your health? So let's be a people of shalom pursuing wellness desiring people so that all of you can be well and that all of me can be well. Join me in prayer. God, you desire well-being for us. You desire peace amongst uh, inside ourselves and in our families, our relationships, in our careers, uh, in our neighborhoods. You desire shalom. God, it was a promise that you gave to, um, to the Israelites that when we follow you, when we pursue you, when we commit to you, when we obey you, you give shalom. Lord, so I pray on behalf of myself, and the whole River, River Life family here. Give us your shalom. Open our eyes to see the areas of our lives that are hurting us. Give us the courage to make decisions and take some steps, even this week, to work toward greater health, greater well-being, greater wholeness. Because your desire is to bring us and make us whole. So let us be a family of shalom today and every day thereafter, God. I pray this in your name.